Hello and welcome to the Cruise Forums, where we hear inspiring stories in times of challenges in the maritime industry. My name is Isaac, the producer of this podcast, and this episode is sponsored by the Crew Academy. Led always from the front, and you talk about your passion, but it's also your humility that's been so engaging and so endearing to so many people. And loved every minute, and loved seeing their journeys and seeing them progress. So I, I get a lot out of helping people from that side. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd always be there for somebody if they needed my advice or my help. I'd never, never turn anyone away. Um, it, it's, it's not been an easy journey from my side. I think women have become. Probably stronger from that because they have more confidence in themselves to go forward without feeling that they need to wait for permission. We've we've got so many different individuals who we're in touch with through um, various courses through the crew mess, from bridge down, um, you know, of captains struggling, having full breakdowns, not getting the support, working back to back, being ill-equipped to deal with the challenges of large vessels and large crew. And it's visible at the moment um, how many people post-COVID um, are sort of flying on their tails and just trying to get to the end of this summer season. This episode is hosted by Andrew Rock, and we have our guest Joey Mean. Hi, good morning, Jerry. Good morning, Andy. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Welcome to the Crew Voice. It's our third podcast. I'm here with Jerry Mean, uh, founder of the Guest Program, uh, board member of iArmy, and general uh, all about town genius. Um, Jerry, you have championed crew rights for decades. Um, why have you always cared about crew? That's a very good question, and um, it's, it's difficult to put it into one answer. I think um, I've been really lucky because I've always had a job that I've loved. So I think passion has led me, uh, and that's that's kind of how I operate. If I'm not passionate about something, then realistically, I know. I'm probably not going to perform or, or get the best out of whatever project I'm doing. So I, I do throw myself into things. I think when it comes to the crew, I saw quite early on in my career that there was, um, I think, a lot of misinformation and a lot of crew spending money and energy and time on things that perhaps they didn't need to do. And I felt I needed to probably plug that gap. I'm definitely a, a people person. I love helping people. Um, I don't know what I would have done if I hadn't done this, but it would definitely have been something to do with people and uh, and helping, I'm sure. So yeah, I think I'm very passionate about making sure that, that the crew get what they need and what they deserve. And, um, and also I think I very much appreciate the type of life that they live on board. It's, it's not something I've personally experienced, but I've been around yachts for, well, crikey, nearly 30 years now. And I think you know, from what I've seen, heard and learnt along the way has definitely pushed me to help as much as I can in whatever capacity, to be fair. 
Lovely. Joey, often words associated to you are fair, open, generous, caring. You always have time uh, and you always give so much more than you get back often from uh, the industry. Does that stem from your nomadic childhood? <laughs> I think I've come from a very, um, yes, slightly nomadic. I, I spent my childhood in, goodness, in Bogota, Colombia, and then uh, Mexico City and uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And yeah, so I think I've probably learned a lot about different cultures and, um, and different experiences from that. Uh, I, I had a very, um, I'm very lucky. I have a very loving family. We're incredibly close. Uh, there's probably not much we don't tell each other. and. You know, I think that openness has helped to be open with other people as well. Uh, my mother is incredible. She's um, she spent her whole life helping people, whether it's working for OAPs, whether it's Samaritans, whatever it is. She's always had uh, something that she's been doing for, for as long as I remember um, that has been in, in some sort of caring or helping capacity. So I guess that does, you know, sort of it's sort of maybe it's in the genes or it's passed down but i think it's, it's definitely been an influence in in how i i see people i think everybody's got a story and however angry someone is or sad someone is you know i don't think you should ever judge people i think you, you know it's a matter of saying well they're just having a bad day so how am i going to make it better rather than how am i going to make it worse or i don't know that's how i've always felt so yeah so i guess maybe that comes through with the way i work too <laughs> That's lovely, Jerry. Um, you work for, for nearly a decade without properly being remunerated, um, building the guest programme, which is now obviously accredited by Army, was previously accredited by the PYA. And you've always been a flag bearer for service and for excellence. But prior to guest, there was so much more of what you did um, on the deck side. Can you tell us a bit more about your involvement uh, from that, from the early stages at all the deck accreditation that often I think people don't realize how important you were in creating those programs. Uh, yeah, that yes, that seems a very long time ago, but it, it was sort of probably key to where I've come to now with my learning, my personal learning curve and, and journey on sort of career progression and, and training development. But um, yeah, I mean, back in the 90s, I was running a sailing school in the UK. Um, absolutely loved it. You know, it's to kind of take your dog to work and, you know, jump on a boat if it's not being used for the weekend. Uh, a great lifestyle. Yeah. Um, but certainly, I got to know the yachting industry very well at that time because a lot of crew would come to Plymouth Sailing School. And um, in fact, I still see many faces now that I, that I met at that time when I was in Plymouth. And... Uh, the yacht master wasn't obviously at that point um, uh, being able to be completed in non-tidal water. So we used to get a lot of crew coming over and, and helping them. And so I think I was quite exposed at that point to what was and wasn't happening in the industry for the yacht side. And uh, the MCA started the yacht qualifying panel in the late 90s um, with the intention of rolling out the new deck and engineering qualifications by 2002, I think it was launched. So I was quite um, quite passionate about helping and I think I was lucky I had a very good mentor in um, a guy called Steve Emerson who was part of the Messania School before he moved to France. Um, and then I followed him there with uh, with help with the training side at his company, uh, Freedom Yachting. And um, 
So he, he was really interested and involved in what was happening with the yacht sector with qualifications and that inspired me and I think I was always very passionate um, about you know sort of the the training sort of cycle for people in the industries whether it was a private sailing or people working on the boat so yeah I got involved with the yacht qualifying panel early and when that came out in 2002 I was in in France at that point but yeah, I mean, to answer your question, probably is probably to say that from 2002 onwards was really the crucial time where I was basically sitting on these panels um, uh, with all sorts of ideas being thrown at us from the regulators that weren't really going to fit our industry particularly well um, at that time. I think things have changed a bit since then, but certainly at the time, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the OOW that we know now, Master 500, Master 3000, and the engineering Y qualifications that, that was launched at that time, definitely I was involved, very heavily involved in um, in trying to make sure that the yacht industry got the right type of qualifications and right type of training programs that would suit um, our, our crew, yeah. Tell me, why did you move predominantly from bridge and deck um, and your passion in steering those qualifications. How did you and why did you sort of end up predominantly on the interior side with guests? Yeah, I kind of fell into it really. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely love it and, and it's been a very inspirational journey. But um, yeah, I mean, my, my passion for the deck and engineering, you know, I threw myself into a decade of helping deck and, and tech um, with qualifications, career mapping, um, and you know, sort of helping them with what courses they needed and training record books, and, and obviously, as I say, on the qualifying panel for the MCA. But it was really until 2008 when I was on the PYA council, um, and I was appointed the training developer at the time for the PYA. So I was I was in a voluntary in a voluntary capacity uh, working on on the projects that PYA was sort of involved in on training as well as having my own business. And yeah, they, we, we started getting a lot of the interior crew coming in saying, well, what about us? And um, and quite rightly, and, and really, really quite rightly, we looked at what their position was and realized there was no formal training. Um, a lot of the issues that those particular crew were bringing to the PYA were, were feeling ripped off on the training that they had, or uh, captains as well, suggesting that um, you know their crew could be doing any any course they all have a similar certificate but there was no proof or evidence of what they'd actually been taught or how they'd been taught um so a lot of variation in that and and i think it was um in on tv yacht show around 2007 um that we had a big panel i'm not sure if you were there actually andy um but we had a big panel of um of current and former uh, stews and stewardesses and um, the audience was about 300 or so and they were made up of crew agencies and you know the usual movers and shakers that come to the, these wonderful events um, but of quite a few captains and crew that were also part of the show were there and um, after we put out sort of a feelers of what we were intending to do with potentially setting up a program for interior we didn't know at that point it would turn into guests um, we asked everybody to put their hand up and we got 100% yes um, that people wanted there to be some structure for the interior department. So that basically triggered um, me to sit in the blue lady with a blank piece of paper and a cup of coffee and saying, <laughs> okay, now what do we do? Um, 
so yeah that's that's how the idea of the seed was was sown really is it came directly from the industry they asked for it and uh, that was something that that i then took on um not on my own i have to say um i bought in some amazing experts amazing professionals um you know over the period of, of the creation of guests which took about eight years uh, as you say um of literally throwing myself into 60 hour weeks <laughs> of creating this um and i loved the journey it was challenging i'm not gonna lie um but we got there and uh yeah i mean the credit really goes to the people that helped me we had about 48 people in the end that, that contributed to the whole setup and the, and the building of the program Wonderful, Zoe. Um, that's well over a decade ago. Why is it still so hard for guests and interior courses to be taken seriously by certain demographics within the industry? Yeah, interesting question. We, we've we've had guests running now. I mean, officially, yes, more than a decade. I think we actually launched in two thousand and. Uh, 12, 13, I think uh, the first the first programs in fact the Guru Academy were I think the first ones to become approved at, the, at that time to, to run the courses. Yeah, I mean it's a really difficult um, it's a really difficult thing I think to change the culture of training when it comes to anything that's mandatory or non-mandatory and and interior training is not mandatory. There are elements of it that have been embedded into MLC, for example, the, the food safety, food hygiene. Um, and I also kind of question MLC a little bit with the interpretation of some of the, the employers, because it does state in there, you know, you should be employing people who are trained to do the job you're employing them to do. So where is that evidence? Um, you know, so I think guest fits that profile very well, but uh, I don't think the industry's caught up with it perhaps yet. Um, students that have done the course and the feedback from the captains that have crew on board who have completed formal training under guest, um, I certainly see the difference and certainly highlighted that. Um, but again, we're, we're in the same situation potentially as we were um, a few decades ago when the yacht qualifications came in for deck and engineering. It took a while for people to catch on. It took a while for um, the industry to accept what was happening. Um, it was based really around charter yachts, so commercially um, registered yachts. Uh, so there was a, a drive on the sort of regulators, regulatory side rather than the qualification and training for the individual. So I think we're a little bit behind the curve on that with the culture shift, yeah. We're, we're 10 years on and we're seeing, um, and I think you've seen well over 10,000 certificates issued through PYA and now through IARMY. We're seeing students who trained 10 years ago with us who are now fully certified five, six, seven different levels and are bringing their crew and their teams through our programs, through Peter's programs, Kim, etc., all of the different schools. So um, from our perspective, we see a, you know, all of the hard work from your perspective and, and the other supporters of the guest program for the last decade. Suddenly the wave is growing and the volume of interest and also the fact that a lot of captains now are um, 
you know, have grown up with the guest program around them. And they are the 35, 40 year old captains who are listening and wanting to have very professional crew on board their boats who are certified. So I think you'll see Joey over the next 15 years, sorry, the next five years, um, you know, that tide changing dramatically. Joey, you mentioned Steve Emerson, a mentor of yours back in 220, so 2002. Have you always looked for a mentor or have you been lucky that they found you? And what advice would you give anyone looking to mentor or looking for a mentor? Yeah, I think I've always been lucky with um, with the people around me that have given me the support. Uh, and and I think with mentors, to me, it's, it's not just that one person. It's actually often a collective um, uh, different people giving you different advice in different areas that are just as and equally as important. I think I've been lucky because people have taken me under their wing quite often, but I think potentially it's because I've been so passionate. So people are willing to put the energy into someone that's obviously willing to give back and put that effort in as much. So I think if you're looking for a mentor, if you're wanting to be in that position, I think you have to really show that you're serious and that you really want to help or do something. Uh, Steve was one of one of many mentors in my life, um, and and one of many inspirations that I that I followed. And I've not always necessarily looked for somebody there to be to be someone I I can rely on or speak to or trust. But there's all. I mean, Andrew Scofield has been another person that's been very influential in supporting me and ideas, and particularly during my PYA days. Yeah. Um, he was always somebody that would be a very good sounding board for you know activities. My my crazy ideas that he actually listened to and quite often supported. So, yeah, I think I think I have been very lucky, Andrew. I think as far as me mentoring people, I think I've done mini mentoring, if that's even a thing, um, where I've I've helped a huge amount of people and followed them through their journey or continue to, to do so when they need help and they've come to me. I've I've, I've never turned anybody away that that I've no knowingly turned anyone away, um, and, I, and I never would, but. You know, people have often come to me with particularly the engineering deck years when I was helping people um, through that spaghetti crazy times of what they needed and what they didn't. Um, yeah. I did help a huge number of thousands of yacht crew that are probably now in HOD positions on, on the yachts and loved every minute and, and loved seeing their journeys and seeing them progress. So I, I get a lot out of helping people from that side. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'd always be there for somebody if they needed my advice or my help. I'd never, never turn anyone away. Gary, um, you say that you've had a few mentees and um, from our perspective, we see you as being one of the key women in leadership in yachting, having uh, led always from the front. And you talk about your passion, but it's also your humility that's been so engaging and so endearing to so many people. Um, there's never a profit in mind. There's never uh, anything a bar altruistic uh, desires for your work. And that's been clearly felt by all of the guest program leaders, schools. You know, you've been the founding block that we've relied on. We haven't always agreed, but it's been a wonderful journey to spend with you. Um, women in leadership positions like yourself, like Lynn, and other uh, unsung heroes. What, what would you say to a young uh, female deckhand interior crew starting uh, their journey in yachting? What would your words to 
them be? I think their journey now is potentially quite different to the journey I started off with. I think there's a lot more awareness of uh, diversity in gender diversity. I think women have become probably stronger from that because they have more confidence in themselves to go forward without feeling that they need to wait for permission. Um, it, it's it's not been an easy journey from my side. I've seen, you know, when I was running Kim Mercedes School, I even remember going back to the 90s, you know, people would come in to, to speak to me and or speak to somebody and, you know, they'd often speak to one of the trainers who, one of the, the instructors who was male, not that we had all male instructors, but often they would be in, in the lurking around the office after a digestive biscuit they come the, the, the customers would come and directly speak to that person they go oh, you need to speak to joey she's the boss and they sort of look sort of firstly that sort of like quizzical look at you and you're going yeah, you know service with a smile how can i help you um and likewise when i was dealing with the mca in the early days you know i was the only woman sitting in that panel for many many years and um yep. that was quite intimidating I am quite bullshit, you know, I think I am quite forthright. Um, if I believe in something and, I, and as I said earlier, you know, I think when I really think that something's right and I believe in it, I, I don't really hold back. Um, so I think I was a stronger person who could cope with it, but I could definitely see other friends of mine who didn't necessarily have that confidence, perhaps wouldn't have dealt or coped with it quite so well and maybe got as much out of it as I managed. Um, so I think my advice would be, you know, have confidence in yourself. You are, you know, you, you are brave. Everybody's got something to offer and, and that includes you. And it's really important that people don't forget that. It doesn't matter whether you're, you know, higher ranks or lower ranks, every single person or human you come in touch with has got something to, to offer and to bring to the table. And, and that must never be forgotten. Um, doesn't matter what, what gender you are, that's, you know, and, and I think that's why with the guest program, um, you know, I'm so passionate. And, and I, if I could put mentors in the collective, then all the training providers and trainers would be mine because the inspiration I've had and, um, you know, just, I, I feel so privileged to have worked with everybody because the passion behind it has just been some massive driving force. And without that, it wouldn't have inspired me and kept me going, that's for sure. So, yeah. Um, the, the Ask Joey, uh, email that we all refer to and it still is the email I communicate with you um, it, it's become intrinsic to you know all people in the industry if they want a bit of advice they can still come to you yeah absolutely well I think that that, that started in 2005 when I when I literally branched out on my own I was working for sailing schools at that point um, you know for nearly a decade and a half and I kind of figured that people needed impartial advice and the only way to do that was to set up on my own and um, it's never been about money for me it's never been about you know bank balances it's, it's always about people balances and and how you know what people are going to get from something and and that's always been my drive and um yeah I think that, because, that's why I love the email it's just so simple just ask Joey and just ask Joey, you know, yeah it's got no other meaning <laughs> Jerry, you talk about working 60 hour weeks and the stress and all the challenges that you faced over the last sort of 25 odd years 
driving forward amazing programs and campaigns. How do you now structure your working day to find a better balance for you as a human being? That's a very good question. And, and it, it hits a, a kind of a raw nerve in some ways because probably about five or so years ago, I, I actually hit a wall. Um, I, I couldn't cope anymore. Uh, it came to a head. I believe I was coming out of one, getting off one flight and I couldn't even tell you which one it was uh, in East Airport. And I was due to fly off, I think a couple of days later or even the next day to Fort Lauderdale. And then there was Antigua, there was something else in between. And, you know, I was doing about 50, 50, 60 flights a year on top of the working hours. And I'd done that for a long time, you know, eight, 10 years of, of that without a work balance, the work-life balance, that there wasn't anything there, it literally was just work. And and I I kind of broke down, I said, I just actually can't move. I can't remember where my car is. I don't remember what bag I'm carrying. I don't know if I'm coming or going. I was literally just, that's the wall. And so after a week in pajamas, um, which was needed, yeah. living off cornflakes and uh, looking at the television without having a clue of what I was looking at, I just thought, right, time to really sort this out because I love my job. So it wasn't about not enjoying what I was doing. It was needing to find something that was gonna give me something for me. Um, and that was something I would be missing for a very long time. So fortunately at that time, uh, PYA and uh, IARMY, the International Association of Maritime Institutions, uh, they'd been in, in conversations about where Guest was going and I was trying to push it into the umbrella of IARMY at that point, which was fantastic because I always look at them as a sort of big brother. They are, you know, they're the Institute of All Maritime Operations. So why shouldn't guests sit under that, um, you know, the, the big umbrella there? And they willingly accepted and said, yeah, this is an absolute fit for what we do. Um, PYA did their best, but they're not an accrediting body. They represent your crew in, in other, other areas in a, in a very positive way, but not really for the accreditation. So it was a great relief when I only took that on. And with that came um, a tender to keep me running guests, which was brilliant because that was what I wanted to do. It was a baby that I created and um, very passionate about. So. With the new terms under IARMY, it gave me the flexibility of not having to do as much work as I had been with PYA. Um, I think because I was doing so much on the deck and tech still at that point, I was still trying to set up guests. I was running my own business. I was also an RYA auditor going on and off boats all the time, doing the audits for the jet skis. Um, pretty much I had every hat spinning um, and wasn't really performing in any particular area 100%. So, this gave me a new direction. So I started yoga again. I started seeing friends again. I started doing doing stuff for me. Um, I'm really adamant now that I don't work on Sundays um, unless I absolutely have to, uh, which is a complete, which has been something now I've done for a few years, which is just life changing to have that space and know that I don't even have to feel guilty about not looking at my emails. So yeah, um, that's given me a really good, a really good lesson i think to get to that point but i wouldn't want to see anybody else get into that state and i do see people in this industry um who see the work and what they're trying to achieve as just it, it blinkers you and blinds you to what's actually really important and health is important friends are important family is important time for you is important and it's just as important as anything you're doing in any work capacity 
Um, and, and I, you know, I would always be an advocate for people making sure they took time out. I love hearing stories when trainers say, no, I'm taking a day off. I go, hallelujah, have a great one. You know, that's brilliant. <laughs> you know, Joey, you're not alone. We, um, we've, we've got so many different individuals who we're in touch with through um, various courses through the crew mess from bridge down, um, you know, of captains struggling, having full breakdowns, not getting the support, working back to back, being ill-equipped to deal with the challenges of large vessels and large crew. And it's visible at the moment um, how many people post-COVID um, are sort of flying on their tails and just trying to get to the end of this summer season. Um, if you could give them three books to read, Joey. Oh, yeah. If you don't need to answer straight away, you can wait till the end. But anything that could help our listeners uh, understand sort of what you've read that's helped you. Well, I might have to have a think about that because mainly because it's not that I haven't read the books. It's just I'm really bad at remembering names of books that I read and authors. I really am the worst person for that. I retain other things. I don't retain names of books. But no I'll have pops. to think about it. <laughs> okay, so I'm gonna Joey, when I'll the day, geography question. <laughs> don't worry. When the day comes when you settle down to retire, who's gonna carry on the torch of Guest and I Army and the programs that you built? Yeah, that's gonna come. That day is gonna come, Andrew. And I and uh, you know, I think I think whoever does will bring the energy that I have and, and some and probably take it in lots of different directions that, that I haven't been able to. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to passing it back onto, onto that particular person. I have no one in mind right now. And um, if anybody's out there that's, that wants to put their hands up, we, we can do some mentoring towards that. Um, but I, I have no intentions of leaving anytime soon. I, I you know, unless unless the work group or IAMI thinks that, that somebody else needs to come in, you know, I feel, that I'm doing a good job. I feel that the training providers are, uh, are working alongside me and, and pretty much everything that we do is driven by them. So I'm, as I say, I'm not doing this on my own. Um, so yeah, I love what I do, but yeah, I think, um, I think I'm always gonna look at it as a little bit of my baby, a bit of my legacy in the industry that I've left behind. But I don't know if I'll ever have my, all my digits out the water with this. I think there's gonna be a toe in there somewhere at some point, yeah. I was really leading on to the question around pensions and planning and the distinct lack in our industry of fiscal and professional support for those approaching their uh, the end of their careers and how to give them value, how to make them feel um, that they are not disbanded at the side or in the wake of the boats. And we're dealing with a lot of captains at the moment who are struggling with that prospect. Um, do you ever see a pension or a union being created where you can pay into and eventually get rewarded when you do retire? Um, I think it's a very good idea for our industry. I think there's, I always found it amazing that 
you know, we've been responsible for these huge great boats and, you know, the, the, the purse strings in some respects for owners' experience and, you know, whether it's building something or buying something or recruiting people. And so much of that is, and that focus has gone on, on the people you work for, but no one's really thought about you and what your purse strings are doing. So, no, I absolutely think that uh, it's important that the junior crew coming in get that advice. Um, it is something that we talk about through the guest program for the interior. It's, it's embedded within there. Uh, same, you know, I think the the, the responsibility of the trainers um, extends, I think, to that, that level to inform crew of what's available and, and they do. Um, on the whole, and uh, yeah, I, I think that there is a responsibility for self in this as well. But yeah, if the industry could provide something that made it easier, there are companies out there, there's some great companies out there and maybe some not so good, but um, I think it's also expectation, isn't it? I think you don't, when you're young, you don't have that thought ahead of time that you need this. And um, our industry doesn't pay pensions within any pay structure or salary structure or, or um, contract. In the old days, some yachts did, but certainly not um, in this in the last few decades. That's for sure. But um, yeah, I think the expectation from your salary is what you know. What are you going to be spending it on? How are you going to be, you know, dishing it out and spreading it around to actually give you a future? Yacht crew are pretty good, though, some of them at buying properties, so maybe that's their pension. But uh, I think we could do more as an industry. Yeah, I think you're right. Joey, the industry can be quite cruel um, to those that are struggling. We see the veneer of yachting and the beautiful white hulls and the super, super structures. And we look at all the crew and they're all smiling. And yet deep down, there's a uh, a, 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 a real struggle in a lot of crew messes at the moment that's been exacerbated by COVID. Mental health uh, and all of the support structures, crew help, uh, yacht, uh, um, you know, the yacht helpline and others uh, are all trying to do their bit. Um, what do you think guests can do uh, in order to uh, bring this more into the open? Yeah, I think I think guests can do more. Uh, where we sit right now, so I'm talking clearly, obviously, about the interior side of things, but I think it does reach into the um, other heads of department. Again, we're going back to the culture where our industry is is really um, because it's grown so quickly over a period of a short period of time. I think a lot of the cultures haven't caught up with with the current times, and I think leadership or bad leadership is something that unfortunately we've inherited in certain ways and I don't blame the individuals in this by the way this is uh, you know there's no structure or hasn't been any structure there or any training available for, for the most part in, in in the yacht crew's careers and I think that really impacts how people behave towards each other um, it makes me very sad that there's you know there's this element in our industry where people either don't care or people are suffering in silence um, or, or, or people are even hurting each other you know in a sort of mental or, or verbal capacity, I think it's I think it's really sad that that happens in a community, in a team. You know, yacht yacht, yacht is team. Are we all not in it together? Is this not one big yeah. team? You know, that that's kind of how I I feel. But I mean, the soft skills that we teach through guests, I think, are the most important. Actually, the technical is needed, and that's part of your work job and and your occupation. But the soft skills, I think, are the most important, and that is in part dealing with yourself, dealing with your own issues. And, and we teach through the um, 
leadership programs, which you, you teach, Andrew, on behalf of guests. It's, you know, a lot of, um, you know, self-care, awareness of, of your own health and mental health and mental well-being. I think it's it's vital. And I'm absolutely delighted that there are so many organisations now that are out there um, supporting it. I don't think necessarily that guest needs to set up another one. I think we just need to collaborate with the ones that exist because I don't believe in reinventing the wheel unless we have to. Um, and I think the professionals that are helping in the background, um, you know, they're trained to do this. And that's really important that crew have the opportunity to go to trained people, people who are professionals who know what they're talking about. Um, and, and, and again, I think culture now has, has changed. I don't think anybody should be ashamed or unable to say help. Um, and I can speak for myself going back five years or so ago. I really didn't tell anybody I was going through what I was going through. And I think it would have been much easier if I had. But there wasn't really that support at that time. So we're only five or so years into having all these uh, platforms that are there to support. And certainly now, if it had happened to me, I wouldn't. Have, I would not hesitate to pick up the phone or to contact and reach out to somebody because I think that is what I needed in in my small little world of whatever I was going through, which is nothing compared to what so many people go through. So I would always advocate that that advocate that that would be something people should be looking to do. Yeah, the stigma has been um, firmly removed, I think, over the last yeah. year and a half. And we can thank COVID for that, Joey, and being vulnerable and, um, you know, showing uh, the fact that uh, you are struggling is not frowned upon by a lot of individuals. I mean, we've currently, you know, we've got our command course and we've got an incredible group of 40 to 50 year old captains who are all showing real leadership by saying we need to go through proper training um, and you know we've got 55 60 year olds on the course who want their last drive and they want to be the best that they can be for that last drive and it's the most inspiring thing to watch them every week for four hours go through this journey and to to listen to them saying it's never too late to learn yeah. but it's also never too late to change my reputation I did that badly. I should have done something differently. That poor person who I didn't lead well enough and I barked at or I didn't review properly, um, you know, they're all making amends. It's really interesting. So, you know, when we see our elder statesmen, and they'll all probably lecture me for it, <laughs> actively looking to change and changing, it gives great hope to the youth who are joining yachting. Um, I've always had a hugely positive perspective on human beings and look for the best in them. Um, it's going to be a, a controversial question, Joey. Below decks, how do we stop this tide of individuals trying to join the industry who assume that what they see on the television, on that show and other shows, so we won't be, we'll be a bit less impartial. Um, actually get a dose of realism before they get on board? Well, I think the industry needs to make a stand and there's absolutely nothing wrong with having any industry-led formulas or formats to people entering into the industry. Uh, you know, you wouldn't join without your STCW or ENG1, so why not include in there some sort of introduction to yachting life and, and you know, what the yachting industry offers and what your life and role will be. I think it's incredibly important that, that people come on board with a, with a, with awareness um, on that. I think 
I think Below Decks is a soap opera. I don't look at it as anything other than just basically it's, it's, it's EastEnders, isn't it? I mean, let's face it, it's, it's, um, it's just EastEnders on a luxury yacht. It's not, you know, some elements maybe ring true, some elements you just look at it and go, well, you know, if people were trained better, they might deal with it better. I mean, you know, there's lots of areas within it that you can't really take too seriously. Yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's our industry should be getting a bit more professional in, in, in certain areas. I think it has in various places. I think the, the, the structure and regulators have come in and sort of put their rubber stamp on things and, and probably made things a little bit or forced things to become more professional and, and yeah. people to follow better processes and procedures. But there's nothing stopping us as an industry doing something similar. And I think there's definitely training courses out there. In fact, our um, level one course, our introduction has now split so that we've got a yacht in life and also, you know, as part of an introduction, which is open to all crew at any department nice. um, at introduction level. And it's it's two days and Andrew, I'm sure you'll be running it as well. And it's, you know, it's something that I think every crew member should do as part of STCW. Really good nice. introduction to what your expectations are, what you're bringing to the table, how we can help and support that. Um, you know, down to writing a CV, getting a you know, interview, communication, and also awareness at very early stage about mental health and well-being, because that I think is something that should be imparted uh, when crew first join the industry. Lovely, Jerry. Jerry, um, if I was a yacht crew member and I sent you my CV, I would have to put on it my picture, prof probably a well, a, a, a full version of my picture, standing up in a dress. If I was a woman, I'd have to put my name, my nationality, and my age. All of those things are illegal in all other forms of recruitment. How does this industry grow up and recruit people for their talents, their um, their work ethic, and not how they look? Yeah, it's a good question. And, I, and I'm really glad to see some of the um, crew agencies maybe changing slightly the way that they're profiling uh, individuals that are looking for work. Um, it's great to see some of the training providers also offering, um, you know, some of, some of the dynamic talent dynamics or the profiling options there which i think also assist employers on on who they're getting but yeah i mean it's really quite disgraceful that we ask for all those things it's not as you say normal in any other sector and and you know quite often i get people who come in maybe at a sort of more mature age and looking at it as a second career option um particularly someone's coming from hospitality and, and wanting to work in the industry they, they can't believe that that's what's being asked it, it is unusual Again, Andrew, I think so many of our practices in our sector haven't caught up with this current century. <laughs> I think we are very behind on on so many things and so many levels. I'm sure that will start changing. I think things have started to change now with contracts and um, uh, you know um, equality policies on board and 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 these sorts of areas where the employment status has changed. But it is education and anyone we're educating now coming into the industry that that that's what it's all about it's educating crew it's educating the youngsters now so when they become heads of department they're then able to put in and operate that that more current ways and yeah it's yeah it's been interesting because um the the younger generation who often are described as the work generation get a bad rap but actually what they've done is they've forced captains and managers and dpas and other crew 
to step their game up and to actually create fair working environments to regulate behavior, language, um, to include diversity uh, in the recruitment programs. And we've seen the youngsters driving, you know, driving it from bottom down. And, you know, from our perspective, we've seen it driven down from the top now through the command courses. But, yeah. uh, and if these two can meet in the middle, we've got a really good chance over the next five years of creating an incredibly dynamic industry from a recruitment perspective. Why don't we get the big university graduates? Why do we not look uh, further afield? Because you know the numbers are growing. There are so many large boats being built and crew go through the great big sieve of yachting, as we call it, one, two, three seasons. And if they survive, they thrive. Um, and that's a very hard way to to build a career. So, you know, the more programs, the more work you've done, all the providers of educational content um, and the better the recruitment companies run their uh, practices, that will mean we're in an amazing industry in five years time. So I've got great hope for it. Joey, a couple of final questions. You've been nominated for the A-Crew Award, um, which I think is, a bit early, because you're nowhere near retirement yet, as you both know, we're going to be going for another 20 years. Um, you're up against some wonderful friends of yours, um, Lynn, who we've worked with for years and who is, again, a great uh, signpost for how people should behave and be. Um, what would you say to everyone who's going to click on a vote button this evening? when they hear your interview. Yeah. Vote for Lynn. My goodness. I mean, I've worked with Lynn for so many years now and that doesn't, that's no disrespect to the other nominees. Not at all. I think everybody deserves, deserves to be there. Um, I'm feeling slightly um, humbled by being there. I don't think I've achieved yet what everything that I want to achieve and I'm sure I've got a lot more to give, but um, no, I think Lynn deserves it. I mean, she's, you know, she's still out there. She's currently, I don't even know, somewhere around Italy, I think on, on her yacht, you know, still still doing it. She's still out there doing it. No, hats off. She absolutely deserves it. Love her to pieces. Jerry, um, that, that, that yeah. says so much about you as a person, as a human being. You've always put people first. Um, you've got a very tight group of female friends around you who look after you and support you and you're part of that same group who look after and support them and I've, I've found you over the last decade and a half to be an inspiring uh, person. When I came out as being an alcoholic and a drug addict, you were the first person that I actually spoke to in the industry to tell you about my journey into recovery and out of recovery to where we are today. So. Um, from from me, from everyone else who's listening to the crew voice, um, I just want to say a huge thank you to you for the not going to say how many decades work, but I hope that for the next 10, 15, 20 years, we're still working together. We're still creating incredible products and still driving through excellence and a fair working environment to the industry. So um, thank you from everyone. Joey for having spent a good 45 minutes chatting to me this morning. Do you want to leave us with a word? Well, I'd like to say thank you to you for your words, Andrew. Um, I feel quite humbled and 
all I can say is that I've loved the I've loved the journey, and I'm really looking forward to the to the next chapters that come. And um, I just hope I can do you all proud as well during that time. So yeah, and um, yeah, and I think to the crew out there, you know, you guys have got it. You know that you've got so much help and support around you with the people that I know that want to help and support you. Um, I don't think anyone in this industry should ever really feel alone because there's an enormous amount of of very genuine, very caring people in the industry, and I'm very privileged to be working with pretty much most of them. So yeah, that's Jerry, what I like to say. Jerry, you've said it. You've said it all to everyone who's listening. Um, you've been an inspiration. You've been generous. You've been caring, passionate, humble open to all experiences and um i hope that more crew listen uh, to your journey maybe email or call you or shake your hand or give you a kiss on the key side and just say thank you because from all of us jerry mean it's been my utter pleasure have a wonderful afternoon and thanks from everyone in the industry thank you very much andrew thank you oh, <laughs>